Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Hi, I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is the Unresolved Life Podcast. Today, we are talking about something that I think a lot of people struggle with, but very few admit to it. What if the holidays... Whatever you celebrate. For me, I celebrate Hanukkah and the coming of Yeshua. But what if for you, the holidays are not so joyous? I've got a guest on who's going to speak into that. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about my sponsor. Today, it is Yeshua Tea Company. You know, for a lot of people, every day is not joyous. Because why? Every day, they're sex trafficked. They're passed around like cattle. And every single day, they're sold for $90, the price of a human life. You can take a step and do something about that. You're going to buy your tea and your coffee or whatever you drink anyway. You might as well get it from a, ver- a reputable source. And Bradley Hopp and his partner are doing something amazing. They're rescuing girls out of a communist Asian country. They are teaching them a trade. They're giving them the counsel and the medical care and the spiritual care that they need to lead a productive life so they don't ever have to return. They just recently got a second house, but it doubled their budget from 10000 to 20000 a month. You can go to www.tishuatee.com and purchase your product. Every part of a sale will go uh, to helping the girls, or you can donate directly to them by going to teshuahouse.com, T-E-S-H-U-A-H. You can also find the Liberty Unveiled podcast on the Unresolved Podcast Network. And now, on with the show. Raina, welcome to Unresolved. Well, thank you so much for having me, Teresa. You are so welcome. So... Uh, we, we connected and you, you really stuck out to me. I couldn't really put a finger on it, but you, um, and I have something in common and I want to speak into this for a lot of people. The holiday season is a wonderful time. It's a time of, of gather with family, whether you celebrate the Christmas holiday or you celebrate Hanukkah, whatever. But for some people, it's not so joyful. You've had a similar experience. Can you share your story? About, it's actually, it'll be 10 years this year on December 12th. I was having brunch with my younger brother and my, our parents. And, um, and you have to understand that my younger brother was my best friend. We, we literally grew up in the jungle together. And I would joke that, you know, half the time we were each other's best friend because we were each other's only friends. <laughs> A lot of the time. And so uh, when we moved back to the States, we just stayed best friends. We did everything together. And I didn't realize until after this moment that we literally saw each other every other day, at least. And um, we had been out having brunch. I gave him a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and said, I love you. I'll see you later. And went about my day. And about four hours later, he was in a motorcycle accident that was fatal. They died almost instantly. And um, yeah. And so I, w- I was at a, a Bible study that night. I got a text from a friend saying, I'm so sorry about what happened with your family. And I thought, oh, you must have the wrong number. You're probably texting the wrong person. Right. And so, so what do you mean what happened with my family? He said, call your mom. I'm like, 
why? What's going on? Call your mom. And so I called my mom, no answer. I called my dad, no answer. I called my brother and left a message. And I was like, Miles, something happened in our family. Call me back. And then I just had this sinking feeling and I finally got a hold of my dad. And I just said, where's Miles? And he was just <clears throat> a wreck and he was in complete tears. And he says, they're telling me he's gone. And he was just, I, I mean, I've seen my dad cry once in his life before this, when his mom died, you know, he just a complete wreck. They're telling me he's gone. So I got home, called the pastor, did what I needed to do, and then just grabbed the ground screaming for the next six or seven hours, almost hoping that I could just melt into the ground and die with him. You know, he was my everything. My, he was my best friend, the person, you know, everyone has that person that you can kind of text all day and not annoy them. Um, <laughs> he was mine and he was gone and, and it felt like I had died too. Um, yeah, that made that holiday. Cause it was December 12th, just 12 days before Christmas Eve, you know, completely wrecked. We had already decorated the tree together and everything, but and I, I couldn't eat for about a month. It wasn't until January that I finally was able to eat. Every time I'd look at food, it'd make me nauseous. People were bringing food over to our house, trying to help out. And it just sat there because it was just nauseating. And, and ever since, you know, it's been 10 years, Teresa. And I never know when it's going to hit during the holidays. Sometimes it'll hit at Thanksgiving a little bit early and I, I'm more prepared for it when it's in December because I kind of expect it. But there's been Thanksgivings where I'll just spend the entire night before Thanksgiving weeping and weeping and wailing. And I'll just like dive into looking at our photos together and, and just missing him so much. Um, and it'll just come out of the blue like that sometimes. But it's it's usually in the holidays. Your story is very similar to mine. Um, I, um, so back in 09, uh, my mom, <clears throat> my mom had been in chronic pain for a long time and she had uh, broken her neck and her back twice, blown out almost every disc. And so she was naturally in a lot of pain and instead of fixing the problem, they put her on opiates and, and that led to severe addiction. I was half asleep and I kept hearing this ringing, ringing, ringing. And I finally woke up about 4 a.m. And it was my dad and he had come home after work and he found her dead. On top of that, they after I went into surgery and because I was I was trying to fix my sight and uh they couldn't save it. So two losses back to back. And so for a long time, I hated the holidays. I, I just, I don't care about Christmas. I don't want to put up a tree. I don't want, I, I, you know, and I think a lot of people are in that place of maybe they've lost someone due to COVID or other reasons. And maybe they're kind of going, I don't want to celebrate the holidays. Do you think... That the church deals with those kind of people very, very well. Oh, well, you know, I think um, the church is full of imperfect people following a perfect God. And we don't deal with a lot of things well, you know, 
Mother's Day for those challenges becoming a mother, you know, um, hard questions. You know, we, I love that your podcast really, you know, challenges life's most difficult questions because a lot of times I think as an entity, the church can shy away from those, you know, to protect the entity. This is where smaller groups, you know, counselors at church, um, these kind of resources, I think, come in so necessary because, you know, 99% of the world is going to love celebrating the holidays and is going to have no problem with it. And, but there's that 1% that just can't do it. And we're called, you know, to, to reach out and touch the broken and the people who really need a, a healer. You know, he got, Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. In some ways, the church does what it can because it has resources like uh, counseling and things like that. But maybe to make that more well-known around the holidays, you know, we acknowledge that the holidays can be hard for some people. And if you're having this hard time, uh, we have counselors available or there's a prayer room in the back. Um, and having people, you know, trained with grief is so important because I'm sure you in, ex- encountered this too. You know, people who haven't dealt with grief before don't know what to do or say. And they're very awkward around it. Um, I remember I lost 12 pounds, you know, just because I couldn't eat. Uh, and I, it, it happened in two weeks, just dropped off of me because of the stress. And, um, you know, someone well-meaning, but just was feeling awkward and didn't know what to say. It was like, well, at least you ought to lose some weight. And I said, I would gain. A- no, that's not helpful. And it, it was <laughs> not helpful. And I was like, you know, I would gain a hundred pounds if it would bring my brother back. I just, there's, there's nothing that there's no, at least to this situation, you know, um, I'd say for those of out there out there listening who maybe don't know how to deal with it either. The best thing that anyone has ever said during that time for me was there are no words. I would also say um, prayer. If you can get someone that isn't trying to, like I think of Job and his uh, friends. Granted, they were mean and not not really good at the counseling part. But for the first week, they didn't do anything except sit with him. That's what I actually had two friends. They kind of took turns. Uh, Audrey and Cassie, they're great. And they would just come sleep with me until I fell asleep. They would just come be with me so I didn't have to be alone. Um, and sometimes they just stay over, but uh, they would at least stay until I fell asleep and just be with me. And, uh, you know, one of them actually uh, was with us at brunch that day. And it was funny because she had been abroad for a few years and my brother had just gotten really, really fit and his hair was styling. And she goes, wow, your brother's really, <laughs> she says, your brother's really hot, you know, that morning, right before he died. And, you know, she had known him since, he was the little junior high kid following us around as high schoolers, you know? And so um, she was dealing with her own grief as well because Miles was her friend too. And it, it was hard for her, but she did it. She was there in my grief, knowing that it was so much more personal for me, even though she was dealing with her own. Yes. There are the people who do not know how to um, comfort but then there's the people who don't know how to express their grief. I walked away for God for five years, and I got addicted to text-based gaming. 
And there was a lot around that, which I'm not going to go into. My audience knows a lot of that story. But a lot of it was I did not know how to express the grief that I was feeling. And even when I could, it was only for short little spurts. And so the the question I guess I have around that is, what do you say to that person who goes, you know what? Life happens. I'm dealing with it. But they've never really expressed it. They've never really shown it. It's twofold here. I think, you know, the um, a person who has trouble expressing grief over a large trauma like this has probably been having trouble expressing the small traumas throughout life as well. Um, one of the things that I do address in my book is kind of dark nights of the soul and, and different times of trouble that we go through, times of grief. And if you have spent your whole life kind of shoving down these traumas, shoving down your feelings, opening that up by yourself might not even be safe. Or possible. Right. Or, or, or helpful or not, definitely not helpful, but maybe not even safe. You know, if you've pushed down traumas for, let's say, 30, 40 years, and you suddenly try to go in there alone, this could bring suicidal thoughts, all, all kinds of things. Suddenly just decide to go into feeling things. You know, if you haven't done that all your life, there's there's a whole different thing. But if if it's kind of a pattern, that might be something you want to... I have, you know, a really good Christian therapist that I work with that specializes in trauma and going into trauma work and making sure that you're going to be able to leave that session not still in your trauma. Um, and so learning how to, to go in there and, and express it. Because, you know, I, I was the same way... I, in a lot of ways where I would just put a happy smile on top of everything and not feel it and just shove it down. Um, now with my brother that just broke it open because literally it was like a part of me died. People were afraid when they saw me because they had known me as the happiest girl they'd ever known. And suddenly I was like this zombie shell of who they had known. I was disheveled. I was quiet and didn't speak. And I'm usually very bubbly in the life of the party and talking about everything, you know? So for me, my, that part just shattered and I had no choice but to deal with it. But I'd say if someone's struggling with how to feel, how to grieve, um, yes, there's that temptation to just say, you know, I'm a strong person. I'm going to move past this, but I do believe it's even more strength to say, I'm going to find the help to help me really unpack this and deal with this. So I'm not carrying it around in a negative way for the rest of my life. So God brought someone along my path uh, to help me very similar to what you're talking about, actually unpack a lot of traumas. Um, <laughs> cause, uh, my uh, childhood was no picnic. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, I, didn't know what I didn't know. And so unpacking that and having someone there to go, okay, let's talk about this. Let's deal with the emotion. You know, it's okay. You know, that kind of thing. People don't realize how much that is necessary. And so I, I, I absolutely agree with what you're talking about when you say that unpacking that kind of stuff might not be safe. I absolutely 100% agree. Because you are literally, when you're dealing with trauma, it can literally break you apart. Absolutely. In fact, 
if you deal with trauma in the wrong way, I'm not sure if you've read the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Besser van der Kolk, um, but he does a lot of studies on trauma. And if you deal with trauma in the wrong way, even just traditional talk therapy, the person experiencing the PTSD from that trauma will literally experience it again as if for the first time. So instead of healing it, it's re-traumatizing to, to deal with it in the wrong way. And so that's why it's so important to have someone who has experience with that um, to dig into that with you. Because if you just you know go in and try to talk therapy, a really deep trauma, you're likely just come out re-traumatized. Like for me, what happened um, was, and this is, a lot of people may not realize that this can happen, but it absolutely can. Uh, for me, I was having non-epileptic events for a very long time, like actual seizures, but they were non-epileptic. How did you know what it was without it being a seizure? Uh, because literally I could sense it coming on and my body would stiffen up like a pretzel. Okay. And so I didn't know what was causing it, except I knew that certain smells or stress or uh, lack of sleep would cause it. I also knew that it was highly demonic, but I couldn't really, I didn't have the skills at the time to deal with it. And so when I was working with this individual, one of the things they said, or we researched it was, well, these events can be brought on by trauma. Okay, that's interesting. So, you know, and, and I, I say that to say this because you are going to deal with your trauma. And this is just my experience. And, and please tell me if you think I'm wrong, tell me. But you're going to deal with your trauma in one way or another. It's going to come out that you're dealing with it. Maybe you're dealing with it because you just, I mean, you snap in a heartbeat and you get really ticked off at a simple thing. And maybe it's from something in your past. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely seen that in myself and others. And I think, you know, you talked about your childhood being no walk in the park. And I think, too, when we've gone through a childhood that we've experienced a lot of, you know, small to medium, maybe even large size traumas, unless something like someone, I mean, like, and I had my brother die and then at December 12th and then a good friend that I went to dances in high school with die on New Year's Eve. Like it was like right after each other. And so for me, I think also kind of dealing with an, an interesting, you know, parents doing the best they could, but it, there was some traumas in the childhood too. Um, you think, unless it's something absolutely catastrophic, you're like, oh, that's not a trauma, you know, <laughs> because you're just kind of used to that in life. You're, you're used to survivor fine. mode. Mm -hmm, exactly. And so you don't like identify something being traumatic unless it's like absolutely life shattering. Um, and so then it's hard. Then you often do get this attitude of, well, I'm fine. I'm a survivor. I can just deal with this. I'm not going to dwell on that. Um, and, you know, there is something to that. Again, especially if you don't have help not dwelling on it. But to unpack it so that, you're, like you said, we're not carrying it around forever. Someone gave the example of everyone has this backpack and our traumas and experiences can be like rocks that we put into this backpack. And until we have the skills, and it really is tools and skills and mentors and therapists and things that really help us 
until we have the ability to take those rocks out, we are carrying them up the mountain of our path in life. And it just makes life that much harder. Right. And, you know, you're reminding me of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, when he's carrying that big old backpack of sin and stuff, and he finally comes to the cross and just tosses it down. And the thing is, you know, um, I I often think of uh, the man with the demon-possessed son, and he asks Jesus if he can heal his son, and Jesus says, I can heal him if you believe that I can. And he says, Lord, help me with my unbelief. And I think sometimes, too, you know, we say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go lay my problems at the feet of Jesus. And it might be, Lord, help me with picking my problems back up again. Help me to leave my rocks at your cross. Because, you know, we can say that and a lot of people do. Oh, just go take your problems to the cross. You'll be fine. But without that real being able to leave them there, it can feel like uh, worse sometimes right you're getting hammered and now and what happened and then what happens once you're you, okay so you go there you leave the problem there at the cross like like you're told to do but now you're struggling with it again and then what happens the enemy comes in condemnation shame guilt look at you, you you're not oh come on you cannot call yourself a christian when you're doing this again right now you don't only have a trauma but you also have no faith to lay that down you know you you don't believe you're not uh, being faithful to God in your belief that he'll carry that for you. You know that yet you're right. You have all this condemnation on top of the trauma now. So the question is, how do you deal with that? How do you, I, I, I honestly and truly believe that about 80% of the church have pasted on smiles while inside they are just struggling. Yeah. And, you know, and that, Teresa, uh, I talk about this in the book as well, you know, and and, and so actually I'm going to go into that story a little bit from, from this book that I wrote. Um, I talk about, I was that person. I was the person who had the pasted on smile and I didn't even know that there was anything bad under that smile because I wouldn't go anywhere underneath the surface of life, right? Because it was a dangerous place. And It wasn't until my brother died and people saw me as that zombie that one person said to me, this was the first time I'd seen you as human. And I'd felt comfortable actually opening up to you about my problems. And so, you know, I think there's there's definitely a side that we we need to be optimistic and and hopeful and, and in the fruits of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and, you know, all these things, right? And... We need to acknowledge our hurts, feel them, talk about them, because otherwise we don't invite others to be able to talk about their challenges and hurts with us. And, you know, there is a fine line there of complaining, but but being open and vulnerable is the only way to really have empathy and, and invite others to truly connect with you. And then there's the aspect of... You know, God says for us to comfort others with the comfort that we've received. But if we don't open up and actually share that we need that help, then how can we receive the comfort and how can we in turn give it? Exactly. And and that's where, you know, I think we get so hardened in our hearts when we, you know, so wrongly try to deal with everything on our own and say, I'm strong, I'm strong, you know, but we're in when we're weak. He is strong. And 
you know, we are called to, um, you know, confess our sins to one another, to bring our hurts to one another. And, and then in our different times to either mourn with those who mourn or edify one another and build each other up in the right time. And until you've been on both sides of that, it's really hard to know, you know, someone who's never been on both sides of that, who's never let themselves feel the minute you're having, a, you know, I call it a, what mother Teresa called it, the dark night of the soul. And, you know, I've had that more than just my brother dying. There's, there's times when God's just like laid something heavy on me and a friend's trying to cheer me up and like make me happy. And I said, you know, I really appreciate you trying to cheer me up. And I, and I understand you really want me to be happy and, but God's just bringing me through something heavy right now. And I need to feel this at the moment. I will be happy again and we will rejoice again. But this moment, I just need you to be here. And I think that that's a lot of, that's a, a misstep that a lot of people make. You know, they want all you happy plastic people, as that song from Casting Crown says, you know, they want that because if you go any deeper than that, man, that might expose something on their end. Right. And again, when we have a practice of shoving things down so long and never unpacking it safely and lightening that load, uh, to let all our rocks fall out at once can be catastrophic. Can you, um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, can you share with my audience a little bit about your, about, about your book and then we'll uh, wrap things up? This has been a very wonderful uh, conversation. It's been a tough one, but it's been good. It was laid on my heart uh, about three years ago, maybe four. It's, it's been a long time in the making, but God, it was one of those things where he put it on my heart so strong, I couldn't not write it. In fact, um, even recently, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. even recently, I tried to go back into aviation and make some money for a while because I'm like, oh God, you know, and um, everything didn't work out. And aviation's usually been my, you know, cash cow. <laughs> to, and uh, I went back in and nothing worked out. And God, again, put so clearly on my heart. If you don't go where I've called you to go, you will end up in the belly of the whale and I will keep shutting doors on you until you go where I've called you to. And that is to bring the message of this book to people. You know? I, oh my goodness. I have so had a similar experience. Yeah. <laughs> so God laid this on my heart and he laid the, um, the title right away. And I was like, are you sure God? Cause that might like scare some Christians away from reading this book because the title was sin tastes good. And it's, and the image on the book is this like candy apple that's kind of dripping because the, the truth is it tastes good, but it hurts later. Right. <laughs> um, and the subtitle of the book is nourishing your soul in an empty calorie world. Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. Yeah. That's the idea is that it's about soul nourishment. And on, on the back, I talk about you know, it's connecting with God, connecting with yourself and connecting with other people that creates what um, a lot of like Catholic scholars and Benedictine monks would call righteousness, meaning right relationship. So when we're in right relationship with God, self and others, we're living in this righteousness that creates, I, I call them heaven on earth moments. And I truly believe that when Christ is talking about, you know, the narrow path and he talks about the kingdom of heaven is now, and then he talks about the narrow path. I really believe 
it would be a big rabbit hole to get down to heaven and hell and what happens after death. But I believe Christ was talking about here and now. Few will find the the fruits of the spirit in their life here on earth, you know, that living in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, few will find that in life. And so my mission with the message of this book, with my Roku show that I host, with all these things is even if it's a, such a narrow path that we're shimming, you know, side by side along this road to lead as many people as possible to this heaven on earth kind of life, living in the fruits of the spirit. And when I've heard people uh, recount their near life experiences where they've died for a bit and they've come back, the thing I hear the most is that they're so full of life abundantly, they constantly feel like they're going to burst when they're in this heaven experience. And I'm sure you've experienced it before and I've experienced it many times when I'm so like grateful and I could, I'm smiling and crying at the same time because I'm just so full of life abundantly. And it does feel like I'm going to burst and I have to cry because I am bursting with joy. And I believe that these moments can stretch into minutes, can stretch into weeks and years. It doesn't mean life's going to look like a Hallmark movie every minute of the day. Um, but that we can be like Paul says, content in all circumstances and we can have peace when it makes no sense. And I believe that we can do that by making great choices with, you know, that's part of that sin taste good is, you know, as we walk in his ways everlasting and we, you know, make those good Proverbs style decisions for our lives and connect with God, ourselves and others. I really believe that these heaven on earth moments can be much more than moments and that we can together walk this narrow path that sure it's hard. It's, it's not hard so much to find, but it's unusual. You know, so much of life and uh, humanity here on earth is complaining and focusing on the negative and, and experiencing hell on earth, you know, the shill that, that Christ talks about. Um, And so my mission is to really let's, Let's leave this hell on earth behind, bring as many people as we can and experience heaven here and now, salvation in this moment, because the kingdom of heaven is now. Um, I have a feeling you and I might disagree on a couple of points, but I don't want to get into that rabbit trail. That might be another topic for that another show. Another um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I I do uh, uh, catch what you're saying. And so... Um, Guys, a link to her book, if you want to check it out and pick it up, will be in the show notes. Um, and thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are very welcome. I just want to dr- leave you with one thing. Um, you know, Unresolved is not the only podcast. We have a l- bunch of shows on the network. One of them is... Um, um, is Liberty Unveiled, like I talked about at the beginning of the show. But another really good one that I think you're going to enjoy, if you are an automotive fan and you just love cars, then you want to check out the Revit Up podcast with Pastor Cliff Alderson. Trust me, it's a good show. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. So um, with that, I'm Teresa Blaze. This is the Unresolved Life podcast. We will speak again next time. 
You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.